Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. You can almost see him flying. That signals the start of our latest edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. It is the theme to the movie Superman. And uh, with that, it is my great, great pleasure to welcome into the studio live and in person, J. Todd Anderson. J. Todd, so good to see you. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank, 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 thank you very much. Storyboard artist to the Coen brothers for 20 years and counting. Currently working with George Clooney on his latest, uh, Leathernecks. Also no, 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 no. It's Leatherhead. <laughs> Leather heads. Don't put those two in the room together. Leather necks and leather heads is a bad combination. Also live in studio this morning for Filmically Perfect is our very own nitrate film archivist for the Library of Congress, the lovely and talented George Willem. And George, welcome. And I'm working on leather pants, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> and don't forget, folks, she just called him lovely and talented. So leather pants, leather head, leather necks. Boy, we just got some sort of happening thing in the studio. <laughs> the leather trio on this and you know, particular day. I just realized, listening to the opening theme there, how much it, it now resembles some of those overblown music bites they use on like the different cable news programs it does doesn't it it's overly very dramatic yeah, yeah especially when there's an attack somewhere in the world you know if there's some sort of attack you know because what we need at that particular moment in time would be superman we are joined here together to celebrate indeed a perfect movie in every way at least according to now, this is superman 1978 this is not to be confused with last year's Superman what would returns. you call that, George? What would we call that <laughs> thing uh, last year? Uh, Follow-up? I don't know. <laughs> thing? I don't know. Last year's offering. Let's just say offering. We'll just Or burnt offering. We'll leave it at Fine. that. Ooh. Not to be confused with uh, the one that was just out, but the one back, going back to 1978 starring Christopher Reeves. That's right. The real Superman. Uh, and, you know, George Reeves was good. He was good. And we love George Reeves. But uh, we feel that... That Christopher Reeves has really presented us with what we know and imagine and understand as Superman. George has a real clear concept on this. And the well, yeah, one thing we we've discussed is that this this version, this take on Superman, has become so iconic throughout the world that I think most people, when they think of Superman now, they think of Christopher Reeve, or they see him, or they hear the music. You know, and they definitely hear the music more than more than any of the other versions. I mean, before this one, of course, it was George Reeves and and everybody could forgive his baggy knees in his costume. But now, (laughs) you know, even especially with the sort of the poignant the poignant end of of Christopher Reeve, that he is so indelibly glued into the minds of, of people that I think always he will be. Um, no, it's George. Yes, George Reeves, but Christopher Reeve, right? Reeve. Yeah, they were. No, relation. Right. no yeah. isn't that funny? Yeah. Well, you know. um, George Reeves was in the fifties, and he was a television serial, which never ever was broadcast on any network. It was always syndicated, oh. believe that or not. And um, but years ago, George and I, when we were at Wright State, 
um, Chuck Jones came and he spoke. Chuck Jones is the animator. From Warner uh, Brothers fame yeah. and then some? And he showed us two great cartoons, and George and I got to talk to him, and we were just enamored because he's one of our idols. And he told us, he told the, the group that was there that he wasn't interested in reality. He wanted, <laughs> all he was interested in was believability. He didn't care whether it was real. He wanted you to believe it. And this movie here, uh, Superman, 1978, is one of those rare movies that's established perfectly out of the gate. Mm -hmm. That's why it's one of our perfect movies because it, everything follows just like dominoes through this whole movie. And what happens here is like from the very first notes from um, the score of this movie. And what's done, the, the, the composer's name? I, I noted it and then uh, oh, dutifully forgot. Amazing, Wars. yeah. From the very first notes, you believe that this Superman is you just you're taken on this ride in this movie and you believe in this guy he's a big boy scout and you believe every word he says and you're just you can just walk right into this movie and enjoy it plus amazing and i totally forgot this cuz i saw it when it was out uh, uh marlon brando plays he's like the you know the oh that's the right huge, he's in this movie that's isn't he that's right <laughs> yeah brando was definitely the uh, the producer's ringer on this one it was a big deal when the movie came out that he was in it and the, he the got top billing right he got top billing and the huge amount of money that they spent uh to get him into this movie before we move any further around this uh blockbuster and this all-star cast of characters let's remind listeners that this is not some arbitrary hey this movie seems cool there are strict and stringent rules which apply to qualification for filmically perfect and gentlemen those are number one they create the world that they exist in and number two, they wholly sustain that world. And number three, regardless of changes in society, they retain their meaning and entertainment value. And never, never are these perfect movies numerically rated one greater than the other. They are all perfect in their own scale. Here, here to that. And I will uh, posit at this point that this movie absolutely qualifies on each and every one of those levels. Crates, it's uh, the world in which it exists. It starts out and does that instantly oh yeah man and and then they just keep they keep building the story with great established points uh, he george uh, pointed out to me last night that uh there's one point where he changes his character and you can see this is why we believe in this guy because he establishes that there are two people which is hardly ever done with superman because you know you're always standing around watching uh, george russo now i i could tell he's superman with those glasses <laughs> you know and, and and these guys are all really dumb but they say right up front, okay, we're going to treat you like a bunch of dumb heads, because this is a fairy tale, boys. And sure. What's the scene, George? Where, where... Well, I think the, the scene is really great. It's after um, Superman has left Lois on her, her patio and flies off, and there's this really wonderful shot that's very, very tricky, where he flies off, and a continuous take pans over to her door, where Clark is knocking on the door wanting to be left in. Or let in. <laughs> and uh, he comes in, and, and right away he gets this idea. She goes to, to change her to fix up her makeup and whatever, he gets this idea that he's going to tell her that he is Superman. So he stands there, he stands up really straight, takes off his glasses, and all of a sudden, he is Superman again. <laughs> and he gets ready, he goes, you know, he gets Lois. to the he goes, Lois, I have something to tell you. <laughs> and then it suddenly realizes that that would be a bad thing, and he immediately reverts to Clark Kent, and his shoulders <laughs> go down, and the glasses go back on, and he's like, um, oh, well, I guess we're ready to go. And it's really, really great. And from then on, Clark Kent bumps into the furniture through the whole movie. He's just great through the, you know, his Clark Kent version, and, and you walk along with it. Yeah, that's cool. We like that. You know? And, and a, little, a, little, a little tiny thing that most people probably wouldn't even really notice that throughout the movie, Clark and Superman part their hair on different sides. 
Which oh, even I didn't notice more. that. I can't remember which is which, but one part's on the left, the other one part's on the right. They didn't re- just reverse the film for that, did they? They actually probably... no, be, That would be much more expensive than calling in the hairdresser. <laughs> flip the negative over and his ass is backwards. Yeah. The classic flip the negative trick. Yeah. You're listening to Film Weekly Perfect on 91.3 WYSO with J. Todd Anderson, George Williman, and me, Nikki Dakota. And this day, we're looking at Superman, the 1978 release starring Christopher Reeve. And then some... Listen, I forgot. I Again, I saw it when it came out. I forgot. I mean, Glenn Ford is in this movie. No, no, no. It's, it's, oh, is that yeah, the wrong? Glenn Ford. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. The yeah. father, the, the Kansas father, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the original Lois Lane from the... One of the original, there was two of them. Uh, is in early earlier sequence when they're in the train. That was Noel. Noel Neal. Yeah, she's and in there talking to a little girl that's going to be a little slave. You know, and and, and oh. also in that scene, the father who is seen in that is Kirk Allen, who was the original Superman of the serials the back in cereals. the forties. What a great attention to detail in the making of those. Well, I mean, they really set the stage. Yeah, this is uh, this movie when it came out. Um, they were throwing everything against the wall when they did this movie, and they had all the stars, and they were putting a lot of money into it. And they had a really great director, and uh, it was sometimes you can see Superman one and two combined together because it was originally Richard Donner was directing both of these, but he got fired, and then. Um, uh, Richard Lester. Richard came Lester in. came in, uh, and and basically threw out everything that Richard Donner had done on part two because the uh, the the people who made this movie, the Salkinds, uh, in an attempt to keep the budget down or keep the the cost of the film down, they I mean it had always been planned to be two parts. They wanted it to be a big epic two part thing, and um, and Donner was was upsetting them because of his attention to detail, which which is very obvious in the film. But they didn't like that. They wanted the film done, so they sort of canceled part two. Put all the money into part one. Now he had been shooting both part one and part two t- simultaneously. So did they combine them actually, or did they just yeah, abandon the, part well, two? Well, part of the the part of some of the scenes from part two are in part one, and some of the ideas are in there. And then when it was so successful, they went ahead and sort of reconfigured part two. But they took the opportunity to fire Richard Donner, take it away from him, and then give it to Richard Lester, who was known as a much faster working director, uh, who totally changed the tone of it because. Um, yeah, it uh, very, very kind of corny after. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the believability factor, as we talked about earlier, becomes watered down. Uh, and, and then they start treating it kind of slapstickish. You know? I mean, Donner, Donner treats, treats this story with so much respect and dignity. Um, play on our little thing there, the, the first uh, voice track. It almost becomes messianic at times. Always hold in your heart the pride of your special heritage. They can be a great people, Kazel, they wish to be. They only lack the light to show the way. For this reason, above all, their capacity for good. I have sent them you. My only son. I mean, that sounds like it could be right out of Greatest Story Ever Told or something like that. <laughs> and Marlon Brando himself yes. doing that. It seems like, and with the white hair and that crazy white clothing, how did they get those clothes so oh, white? That actually, they, they, those costumes were covered with front projection material, which is highly reflective. Oh. And then they would hit them with lights to give that glowing effect. Very, very. I mean, talking back to rule number one, setting the stage, just well done. Yeah, um, you know, some of the things you'll notice in this movie, this is made in 1978, so this is before the digital age. When you're watching this movie, um, if you can remember to think about that, think about that because there's some very difficult stuff that they pulled off in this movie in 1978, effects-wise. And nowadays when we do a green screen in the background, even the simplest green screen anywhere is done digitally, and there's no generation loss. And when I say that, 
I, just think about your weatherman who's standing there trying to find the state of Ohio and Indiana, and he's pointing <laughs> at California, you know, saying, and the rain's coming over here in Vandalia. And that's because they're they're working in front of a green screen. And they're looking at an off-screen monitor. Yeah, they're looking at an off-screen monitor. This is the way Superman was done every day. And here's the problem with this, is that green screen comes in green screen or blue screen, for so you, things will disappear. Superman's suit is blue. The exact same ah. And that was incredibly difficult for these effects guys. Is You'll see a little haze around his shoulders, just like on your weatherman. Because they've had night. to almost cut that manually right. or something. Yeah, and, and you can't go too many times because you'll lose your generation, and he'll really stand out. Now, nowadays, there's no generation loss, so he melds perfectly in. You can, you can do a blue screen um, in front nowadays and, or a green, and you get away with it because it's digital. Mm -hmm. But here they have these huge flying sequences with Superman disappearing into the screen screen, and they were so careful because what happens is you have to light this stuff precariously so that he's not going to blend in. And it's some good-looking stuff. It I mean, is. it doesn't look campy at all. It's... The of, of so many of the films from this era, even more than Star Wars, the, the matte work holds up really, really well. I mean, the guys who did this work were amazing, and they had a whole crew that did nothing but remove wires. Oh. Take the wires out from when they're doing the flying scenes, and that still holds up. And that this is without you mean like electronically like, or physically? Jordan? I think physically. I think it was again, it was a, a you know a, a matting, another matting process to take the wires out because they did not have the computers then that they do now, where they can just like you know go in like a Photoshop kind of thing and just take their little pointer and just scratch the wire out. They, they really did them. a great job, didn't they? I mean, it yeah. really does sustain itself. And, and another thing you have to, whenever you're doing effects in movies, it's always easier to lock the camera down. So that way when objects are moving in front of the camera, it's easy to remove stuff. Now, if you move that camera a little bit, 10 degrees to the right, then you're making an incredibly complex move to remove things because you've got perspective in there you've mm. got to deal with. And Superman is nothing but going into infinite points. And this is so difficult. And they're moving the camera. Nowadays, they have computers who, who ramp this stuff perfectly so that they can eliminate this stuff with a computer. Still takes time, and it's very expensive, but it's cheaper now than it's ever been. But in 1978, they did this physically and manually with film, very much the way George over at the Library of Congress is restoring film and how they have to do – they have a lab over there, and they have to do things the old-fashioned way. I have uh, to say that, you know, like even uh, re-watching Star Wars these days, suddenly – although I didn't see it at the time, which is so interesting to me, around the space flying you can see the sort of yeah. the block i don't know even the term it's, for it those are basically matte cutouts matte cutouts you can yeah. see that i didn't notice any of that here now originally from what i understand the earlier prints you don't see that it has a lot to, i mean it has something to do with everything pretty much but it's, it's the kind of stock they use okay the stock they used in the in 77 they no longer make and and the films were designed to be put on that stock so you know you're gonna have problems with mass plus the films are getting old Plus, uh, you know the la you know sometimes it's just it's just the luck of the lab work. You know, if if you get a lab that doesn't exactly do exactly the way they should, you might get matte boxes. Now, now here's the other thing about green screen, and you'll notice it. People will notice it. Here's the skill, and here's the black art of green screen: is getting those actors to behave believably because they have to follow eye lines and sticks against the green screen where their character is. The last Star Wars movies are very, very hard to watch because those actors' eye lines are kind of all over the place, and actors complain because they have no way to emote or or deal with another actor there because they're dealing with no background, just green, and it gets so bad that actors will go out and throw up afterwards because they're <laughs> they, not yeah. because of the, their inability to work with another actor they're overwhelmed by this green they go out and they go outside and they see the first 
anything and it just upsets their stomach immediately and an actor would have to stand like Christopher Reeve he would have to work under this green screen all day long we're talking 10 hours of please don't take me back to the green screen I've seen that happen before because <laughs> it's tough where all you see is green and you're trying to visualize somebody's over there like Wes Luther in this case or Lois Lane or and it's it's very very difficult even today green is hard on people when they're watching it so most of the time I think they use blue for that very reason but in this case they had to use green because of his suit was blue and years ago when they were re going talking about remaking Superman Tim Burton was gonna be the director there was talk around Hollywood we were doing Lebowski and I remember them the, the rumor was that they were gonna change his uniform because they needed a new and improved Superman and it wasn't because of comic books. It was because it was too hard to shoot blue in front of green. <laughs> We're talking about Superman on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Now, so far uh, with our film guys, J. Todd Anderson, storyboard artist to all the big stars, and George Williman, the, the film preservationist to all the big stars, we have uh, already presented our rules for your perusal. And certainly, I think we all agree that uh, rule one and two, that you create and sustain the world that... Uh, that you exist in with your perfect movie. Rule three, let's talk about uh, despite cultural changes, how it uh, maintains its relevance. Now, how, how do you see Superman speaking through these years to us today? Well, I think that uh, before it was uh, the never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Now, this last movie came out, committed a heinous error on American culture. This is something that will never go away for these guys that wrote the last movie because they, they took that out of the movie. They let's, took let's, that out? Yeah, yes. Let's, let's play this from the original. The, this is where, um, yeah, this is where Lois, um, Lois Lane has is meet, meets Superman on her porch and, uh, and interviews him and asks him why he's there. Why are you? I'm sorry? I mean, uh, why are you here? There must be a reason for you to be here. Yes, mm -hmm. I'm here to fight for truth and justice in the American way. <laughs> You're going to end up fighting every elected official in this country. I'm sure you don't really mean that, Lois. I don't believe this. Lois? Hmm? I never lie. Yeah, um, these guys that wrote the last movie, um, their names are Michael Doherty and Dan Harris. <laughs> We're just calling them out right we now. We are calling them out because, <laughs> and this is a... Uh, the, uh, this is what they this is their quotes the ideal ha um, let's see uh, the ideal hasn't changed I think when people say American way they're actually talking about the American way meant back in the 40s and 50s which was something more noble and idealistic this is where oh. these guys just fell off the back of the turnip truck I mean, because now their movie I don't think will ever be accepted because Superman people that like Superman believe in this stuff and it is. Siegel and Schuster, the guys that invented this, were firmly ensconced in the, the you know, American values when they invented Superman. And the neat, what these guys are saying, that it's not good for foreign sales. That's what they're oh, saying. Oh, how gross. Well, and also the fact that if, if we as, as people do not believe anymore in truth, justice, and and that American way, then that doesn't say a whole lot about us either. So they simply just excluded that from from the most recent sequel. I'm, I'm guessing it was present. There was a Superman yeah. two and three as well, right? And four, which they don't like to talk about. <laughs> there is a Superman four and Supergirl. Oh yeah, they These really don't like to talk. About. <laughs> the Super Dog thing is is something I've always been looking forward to. Um, yeah, because man, we could throw those tennis balls a long way for that 
super dog kind of gag. Um, yeah, but it takes forever for him to come back with him. <laughs> yeah, uh, around the planet three times. Go dog, go. <laughs> Uh, anyway, these these bozos considered it an a, a, they considered it a loaded and antiquated expression. <laughs> That's what they considered in this movie. And it which really is, is unspoken. It's foreign which, sales, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and I think that this movie will be soon forgotten because I I saw about ten minutes of it and it looked like they were just aping Christopher Reeves and uh, that whole scene on the balcony where he takes her flying and he drops her. And how many times does that happen to you guys? And then, and then he zooms back down and picks her up, and then they resume. You know, how many times are your relationship? You right. don't get around to picking her back up. She falls clean. You know, but Superman, of course, he takes care of that because you know we all want to be Superman. So George, if you would be so kind, actually, to take us through uh, just a, a sketch of the outline of the action in this movie, because there's a lot of it. You got oh. it. <laughs> oh, don't throw me across the room, George. <laughs> I, well, if you really need me to, you got to be kidding. There's people out there who haven't seen this. Of course, there uh, are. Well, the basic story is uh, Superman is born on the planet Krypton. Planet Krypton is destroyed, and his father Jor El sends him to Earth in a little, a little funky-looking spaceship that lands, sacrificing himself. So he's the last survivor. Last, well. Yes, kind of. There's these others, but that's in part two. Um, you will bow down before me. That's what it says. <laughs> uh, so he lands in a, in a, in a cornfield and is found by uh, Mr. and Mrs. Kent, and they take him in and somehow manage to circumnavigate all the um, the agency's adoption and adoption and, and raise no him as their own. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, this is the old days, you know, and that was not a big deal, I guess. So oh, he raised up, and he has to keep this these burgeoning superpowers a secret because yeah, he helps him change a tire, which is really cool. Even as yeah. a child, a tiny infant. But even the car. like in high school, he's seen as a freak because just he does these things and does things so strangely. And his dad warns him from showing off. Right. <laughs> Don't well, show off, Superman. Well, when, when he reaches, you know, when he reaches young adult age, and his his human father has passed away, uh, he is called north to this this uh, solitude of fortress, of, fortress solitude. of solitude, where he learns who he is and what he is and what he needs to do. And after several years in that, he comes out as Christopher Reeve and goes to the, years later. the the mighty the mighty city of Metropolis and becomes a reporter at the Daily Planet where he meets Lois Lane, and we heard a little bit of her introduction there earlier. Um, as he gets into this, and he, he first is forced into his first rescue when uh, the helicopter she's trying to take off in gets caught in a cable and almost falls off the side of the building. He rescues her, and then he goes off and he does a few more other rescues, and then he goes back to the Fortress of Solitude to talk to Dad, who tells him, you know, you better just... You know, it's good that you're doing this, but don't get so proud because that'll, you know, that'll cause yeah, you Even Marlon Brando warns him not to show off too much. This is Marlon Brando warning him. <laughs> Mind your own business kind of thing. So it turns out that there is this one guy, uh, Lex Luthor, played by, by Gene Hackman, who has this plan to destroy uh, the West Coast of the United States. And by, he's bought up all this real estate, and he's going to do this big real estate swindle. And he knows that Superman is going to cause him problems, so he rigs a trap for Superman using a kryptonite necklace. And here is a little piece of dialogue where they first meet. It's open. Come in. My attorney will be in touch with you about the damage to the door. Otis, uh, take the gentleman's cape. I don't think he wants me to, Mr. Luthor. All right, Luthor, where's the gas pellet? Somewhere. <laughs> in the back of my mind, actually. 
This is a little idea I was toying with. Is that how a warped brain like yours gets its kicks? By planning the death of innocent people? No. By causing the death of innocent people. <laughs> One of my favorite lines. Uh, picture's only as good as its villain, man. And I'll tell you, Lex Luthor's got it in spades here. Right? <laughs> Not planning, it's the causing. Well, Luthor does pull off his plan. He sends... Uh, a nuclear bomb either direction, east and west, to sort of a double jeopardy, knowing that even if Superman does get loose, he can't stop both of the weapons. Um, Lex Luthor's uh, assistant, played by Valerie Perrine, actually takes pity on him and releases him uh, from, from his trap. And Because but, he, she's afraid her mother's going to get killed, and she negotiates with Superman. Well, if you save my mom first. Right. So he, oh. he actually does. He, he does keeps that. Because he he's, he's honest. Right. He's he, stops honest the, he stops the other bomb and sends it out in outer space. But the first one does reach the San Andreas Fault and starts this huge earthquake. So he rushes back to the west, and he manages to stop the fault from coming apart and then has what to run guy. and do all these different things. He has to save a school bus and stop a dam from being destroyed. But meanwhile, what he doesn't realize is that Lois Lane, who was traveling for some reason out in the desert, I don't even remember why. Very busy reporter. The, uh, the, a crack opens up in the earth and, and swallows her car up and crushes it and fills it with rocks and asphyxiates her. So by the time he is able to get to her, she's dead. And he's been told there's nothing he can do. He can't go back and he can't mess with human history. Yeah. So he recreates history. Well, he by, by turning the earth backwards. Yes. <laughs> pretty pretty cool concept. That's one of the reasons this is a perfect movie. Yeah. 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 And that, that part was originally destined to be at the end of the second movie where it was going to be he turns the earth backwards so that she forgets. She finds out he's Superman, everything in the original script, I guess. And he would turn the earth backwards so that she would erase her memory of him being Superman. Uh. But when they had to combine everything, they decided to use that at the end of part one. Uh, I'm sorry. So Oh, so anyways, he, he goes and he does this and he saves the world and he has one last little piece of business. Do we need to... Uh... Well, if anybody doesn't know the ending, it's their own fault. Um, <laughs> at, the, at, the end of the, at the end of the movie... He, he's picked up uh, Gene Hackman and Ned Beatty, his, his dumb sidekick, and takes them to prison and gives the final line of the movie. Good evening, Warden. I think these two men should be safe here with you now so they can get a fair trial. Who is it, Superman? Lex Luthor, the greatest criminal mind of our time. Of our time? I hereby serve notice. He's serving those to you. That these walls. That these walls here. Will you shut up, please? You. All right, take them away, boy. Don't you, you. Don't hit me This country is safe again, Superman. Thanks to you. No, sir. Don't thank me, Warden. We're all part of the same team. Here, here. <laughs> You know, in this, uh, I got to tell you, George and I, we we've had, we have our list and we discuss a lot of movies, but for some reason we didn't think about Superman until his wife brought it to our attention that we kind of behave like Superman when we're when we're doing our film stuff. So, <laughs> no, no, seriously, uh, George's wife pointed out that this was a perfect movie, and for some reason it got biased, and we don't know why because we love this picture. We've always loved this movie. I remember when it came out, I remember walking out of that, audience thinking this is the way superman should be portrayed because i've learned how to draw drawing superman comics that's what i basically use and it has everything even they handled everything when he goes by the telephones everybody laughed because he didn't get in a phone booth right, there's you no know phone booth. now he's just <laughs> like a phone booth with yeah a phone kiosk. yeah 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 <laughs> 
But and, and, and George's wife pointed out, look, you guys, you got to do this movie. So this one goes out to Felicia because it got by us. You know? Hey, thanks. Hey, thanks. Actually, by the way, we have to wrap up. We are just about out of time. If you'd like to contact and maybe make a suggestion for your own uh, perfect movie, do that at filmguys at perfectmovie.net. There's a lot waiting for you at the Film Guys website. That's www.perfectmovie.net. Hey, thanks for listening to Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Film Guys, a mystery for next week? Oh, heavens no. What next is it? Next week is the original one and only, there is no other, 1933 King Kong. Oh, Absolutely one of the good. best and perfect movies ever made. Absolutely. Stay Without a doubt. Stay tuned. Filmically Perfect Fridays. Uh, we're moving to 1230 eventually, so stay tuned. Tune in early and stay tuned for Filmically Perfect. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.